This week we find out what Rise Home College have planned in September. We spent capital just short of two and a half million pounds and then we were to put up a new building that's specific for Institute of Technology and delivery of HE teaching. Will there be a Young Farmers Rally this year? Plus we hear from the CLA about the launch of their water strategy. Water really underpins the entire farm system. You know, we can't do anything really without, without access to water and without making sure farms are resilient to flood and drought or things like that. And then we also know farming has an impact on water quality in some areas. And we've got the grain report, the economy update, and after another warm week, I'll bring you the five-day forecast for the week ahead. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme. Hi, it's Ellie Codling with you for the show this week as Steve takes a well-earned break. He booked the weather well, didn't he? It's been a beautiful warm week and it's set to be hot today, possibly even the hottest day of the year, but I'll have more on that in the five-day forecast at the end of the show. In the farming news this week, a new tree planting grant scheme opened on Wednesday for farmers and landowners. The government's new England Woodland Creation Offer will support farmers to plant woodland mainly of native broadleaf woodlands on a large scale. If you are considering exporting for the first time, a new mentor scheme run by the Department for International Trade, the NFU and the AHDB seeks to match experienced exporters with farm and food producers to give practical help and advice. And the newly unveiled Kept Animals Bill will see new measures in place for the police to respond to livestock worrying incidents. Now lockdown has meant that the Lincolnshire Young Farmers have really had to be invented with ways to keep in touch and keep the spirit of the clubs alive. What is usually a very active and sociable organisation has tried hard to keep that going in a socially distanced way. I chatted to Charlotte Garbert, the Lynx YSC chairperson, to find out what they have planned for the summer. But I started by asking her how the young farmers have kept their clubs going through lockdown. It's been a challenge. It's been quite a difficult past 18 months for our clubs trying to engage members into mainly what has been virtual online content really so everything from quiz nights to virtual stock judging and you know we've had videos of cows and sheep and things and people have been judging them online so we've tried to adapt as best we can we've made use of zoom and have you found that there's been a good uptake and members have been engaging well with that there has it's it's been a balance really i guess uh, for members who have obviously you know a big part of their school year was online was sort of a uh, a big upheaval really for anyone at school or who who uses a lot of zoom and microsoft teams and other things like that at work it was kind of you know all day you're looking at a screen and then you know in the evening doing young farmers things is also on the screen and young farmers has always been a way of of getting away from work life and school life and things so it was quite different to what we're used to but we had good support we've we've tried to mix it up as well we've had external speakers coming in and talking to us about different things so we've tried to keep it interesting and fresh so that has that's definitely helped by us kind of revamping the content you know every every couple of months to to give our members something different yeah that's that's great like you say we've all had to adapt did you find that you would end up doing more as a county rather than individual clubs each week was it better to work that way in terms of the external speakers it was better for us to do that from a county point of view we could access people from from different companies who could come along and talk some of our clubs have done fantastic work keeping the the clubs going every week so I must give a shout out to lots of clubs I want to give a shout out to but in particular Hamston who 
home all the way through COVID have had a meeting every week for their members. We've tried to help our clubs put on uh, whatever they can. And then anything that is kind of quite a big task for a club, we've tried to do from a county perspective. That's really impressive to keep a meeting going every week with such a limited resources of how to do it as well. So hats off to them for doing that. Now, usually in May, the rally takes place. Will it be happening at all this year? It will, Ellie, and it kind of feels strange. You know, we're now in June, it still hasn't happened. And obviously, due to restrictions, that's meant we've had to kind of rethink how we do the rally. And everybody knows the rally is the main spectacle of the Young Farmers Year. So we we definitely wanted to be able to do it. And we've sat down as a committee. We've looked at the restrictions and and kind of the easing of restrictions, what that's going to look like post 21st of June. There's still quite a bit of uncertainty. We're not 100% sure how things will play out. But we have a date, which is the 3rd of July. We also have a venue, very kindly allowed to have the rally at a farm near Market Raisin. It's going to be more of a trimmed down version of our typical rally, less classes, more focus around making sure we manage manage things from a, a COVID perspective. But we want to put something on for our members to, to give back to those members who stuck by us for the last you know, 15, 18 months. Yeah, that's brilliant that you're trying to get that off the ground because like you say, it's a huge event in the Young Farmers calendar and I bet they're all itching to compete against one another seeing as it's been so long since you have had a competition. Another one that normally happens in June is the Lincolnshire Show trailers. Guess you haven't been building them this year. So what have you got planned through the summer months instead? Yeah, it is it is a real shame, but over the summer we've, we've got a team of us who are the county team who are going to work on making sure next Young Farmers Year is action-packed and we come back bigger and better with new ideas and, and trying to make sure our members are enthused to get back into uh, Young Farmers spirit in September. Have you any plans already for September that you can share with us? Yeah, we have. So we're organising a, I suppose, based on the fact that the rally is more of a trimmed down version, that we're going to host a field day in in September, which is going to be encompassing all the events that we can't do on the 3rd of July. So that there'll be, you know, tug of war, there'll be all sorts of different fun and we'll hope to open that to the public as well and and we'll make that sort of a, a nice start to the Young Farmers Year. Thanks, Charlotte. Sounds a good few months ahead, hopefully, for the young farmers. We'll keep our fingers crossed. And to find out more about young farmers, go to linksyc.org.uk or you can find them on Facebook. Now, we all know that sadly, flooding issues are becoming a much more regular event across the county. The CLA have been working on a water strategy to address a number of water-related issues, which they are launching on Wednesday with a webinar. I caught up with Alice Ritchie, CLA's climate change and water lead, and asked why are they producing a water strategy? I think we really thought over the last couple of years we're seeing an increasing number of flood events, drought events, um, and a declining water quality across most of England and Wales. And landowners have a really important role to play in protecting the water environment and then also helping rural communities um, adapt to the impacts of climate change. So we felt like now was a really a good time to start thinking proactively about what landowners and farmers can be doing in this space and what help they need from government to make sure that we can completely transform the water environment. Why do farmers need to address water management? Water really underpins the entire farm system. You know, we can't do anything really without without access to water and without making sure farms are resilient to flood and drought and things like that. And then we also know farming has an impact on water quality in some areas. So farmers and landowners have a huge role in making sure the water environment is really well protected. 
So what we've done in this water strategy is really go through in detail how water availability works at the moment, why the system isn't working really that well for farmers and landowners and the impact that that's having on other sectors like private, uh, like public water supply. And we talk through the different solutions that we think would work and then our kind of key priorities that we think the government needs to do to make uh, the abstraction licensing system, for example, work really well for farmers and landowners. We also talk through what we need to see a thriving water environment, so how farmers and landowners can tackle things like diffuse pollution, um, what actions we need from different people or different groups or sectors and things like that, and what help we need from the government to make this stuff really happen. And then we also run through uh, how we can increase flood resilience and the important role that landowners and farmers, particularly in areas like Lincolnshire, the important role they play in protecting local communities, often allowing their land to be flooded um, at great at great expense uh, to make sure that local communities downstream aren't flooded. And this is a huge, huge role that they play and should be recognised as a public good. So we cover how how important it is, but also why the government needs to recognise it and hopefully compensate for it. So that's what people can also expect from the webinar, is it, that you'll run through those things? Yes, so we're hosting a webinar on the 16th of June and we're going to talk through, well, I'm going to talk through in detail this water strategy that people will also be able to see up on the CLA website. But we've got some fantastic guest speakers who will also talk through their perspectives and what all of this means from different sectors. So... We've got uh, a representative from Anglian Water and then also someone from the Nature Conservancy. So I think it's going to be a fantastic webinar and hopefully really explain what the water environment needs and how landowners and farmers can act. So what time, where and how do you sign up for the webinar on the 16th? So the webinar is going to be at 3pm and you can sign up on the CLA website, cla.org.uk. And from my understanding, it's free for CLA members, but I think anyone can attend. So looking forward to seeing lots of people there. Thanks to Alice Ritchie of the CLA. And if you can't make three till four on Wednesday afternoon, there will be a recording made available, which can be viewed on the CLA website or on their YouTube channel. OK, let's get an update from Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Morning, Sean. Yes, a very good morning to you, Ellie. Good to talk to you. Nice to have you back, albeit fleetingly, before the old orchard returns from his holes next week. So, funny old time out here. Hot, thundery weather prevails, another scorcher today, and it'll all end in tears or thunderstorms, and I wouldn't like to put my money on which. So, very variable amounts of some heavy rain at the beginning of last week. I took 1.2 mil on Monday evening, but closer to 12 mil in 12 minutes in some areas around Lincoln. So, it was a welcome drop of water in what has otherwise been an oppressively hot and very humid week. But I thought we'd talk housekeeping and reasons why you might think that your advisor is being deliberately obtuse or um, stopping you from going spraying and appears to be doing that out of spite. Because weather conditions are hugely influential to the success or failure of any fungicide, herbicide, trace element or indeed anything else we apply to any crop. And things not working or scorching the crop are usually as a result of the prevailing weather conditions either at before or immediately after application. I was always taught that we get just 11 optimum spray days a year. That's days when conditions are perfect for spraying. So it's an inevitability. It's going to be hard to get it right all of the time. But there are very good reasons why we say don't spray on what appears to be a good spraying day, even though you've got a heap of tickets staring at you from the office wall. This week, it's been about the heat. Sugar beet is a very good example of this, um, but it's not exclusively sugar beet. On the label with almost all of the sugar beet herbicides, 
it states very clearly do not apply in temperatures exceeding 21 degrees Celsius because above 21 degrees not only is the risk of crop damage increased but also those herbicides dramatically lose their efficacy up to 30 or even 40 percent of that efficacy can be lost in the heat and that's through a combination of factors but not least the weeds tend to shut down in that sort of heat and produce a lot of wax and they just don't take anything in they won't take that chemical in efficiently as they need to in order for them to work and also evaporation of the fine mist when it hits that hot canopy remember we're applying very low doses of active ingredients in low volumes of water in 100 litres of water and as a fine quality spray so just 10 mils of water per square metre is a teaspoon and a of water that we're spraying on as a very fine mist and that contains tiny amounts of herbicide in each one of those fine droplets so on tuesday for example 10 to 10 on tuesday morning in the horncastle area the ambient air temperature was 19 degrees c and it was sunny but we're not targeting the air we're targeting tiny little weeds on the floor that's our target and at 10 to 10 on tuesday morning the temperature on the ground in those beet fields was 35 degrees celsius and climbing now, I'm well aware we have to get these things on, that the weeds won't wait. I couldn't agree with you more, but spraying at 3 o'clock in the morning till 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning and then stopping throughout the heat of the day, but starting again after 9 when the temperatures have dropped again, it might not seem too appealing for your spray man, but it's not forever, it's for a couple of nights and it will not only protect the beet from scorch, because remember the constituents along with the actives in a sugar beet herbicide will be plenty of wetters, surfactants, adjuvants, stickers, extenders and all manner of carriers to ensure that they actually do their job. So it also just makes sure that the weeds that you're targeting actually die by getting a full rather than in effect uh, an even more reduced low dose by going in the heat of the day and losing that efficacy. Similarly with fungicides in cereals, beans, peas, everything else really, temperatures over 23 degrees may heighten the scorch levels and you, you're probably going to apply these chemicals in those temperatures to canopies that are 10 or even 12 or 13 degrees Celsius higher than the ambient. So we're not being obstructive or difficult, we're trying to make sure you get the most out of your application and that you don't burn the crop in the process, that makes sense doesn't it? So anyway, a quick agronomy bit after all of that. Very little change from last week. T2's largely finished on winter wheat. T3 now looming for Fusarium ear blight complex at the onset of flowerings presentation so if you start to see the anthers coming out you've got about 24 to 36 hours to control fusarium or have a go at controlling it because you'll only ever get 50 percent control if it is wet at that point if you go beyond that and you're delayed you're not going to do any good at all to fusarium and you'll just be topping up foliar disease control like septoria and rust prothiaconazole tebiconazole metconazole the best active ingredients for fusarium control t1s on the barley spring wheat spring oats growth stages hurtling plast on those spring cereals so please watch cutoff timings particularly for growth regulators the first spikelet of inflorescence then the first orns on the spring barleys you get to that point you're too late for serone for example potatoes blight 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 it's hot it's thundery it's humid so i'm not gonna there's no grandmothers at risk from being taught how to suck their eggs this morning from me back to sugar beet though reports of the odd aphid coming in around the county remember miser's persicky threshold is one wingless nymph per four plants up to the 12 leaf stage 
then one nymph per plant um, beyond the 12 leaf stage. That's your thresholds. Now, noticeably little in the way of swallow and martin activity in sugar beet fields latterly. So clearly very little in the way of flying beasties out there, but do keep your eyes open and treat if necessary, if you find the threshold. And by the way, if your advisor says to you that they're not seeing any aphids, but they are seeing a lot of ladybirds in the beet, which there are actually a lot of ladybirds out there in the beet, therefore they must be eating something. So you better go out and spray. Just remember that is not the way to do this job. Integrated pest management has thresholds for a very good reason. Get to threshold before you spray. And by the way, ladybirds are omnivores. They eat pollen and plant sap and other things, not just aphids. So if you can find ladybirds but not aphids, just make the assumption they're probably doing the job for you for now. That may change, but for now they'll be doing it. Threshold means threshold. The aphids might be building, but monitor it and go only when you reach those thresholds. And brookid beetle eggs, we're starting to find them on winter bean pods. Spring beans in flower now, starting to set the first pod. But I do wonder how much good we're doing with pyrethroids against brookid anyway. Last year, by not treating brookid, we were getting around 12 to 14% damage. By treating, we were getting around 7 or 8% damage, and they were getting rejected anyway for being above five percent so are we doing the right thing spraying insecticides on a flowering crop of beans i don't know that's up to you just think about it and don't just go out and put an insecticide in because you're going through and you do it anyway every year so rant over let's see what the next seven days bring thanks very much sean as we're in the final half term of the school year many students will be thinking about their next step with this in mind we wanted to find out what exciting new developments they have made at rise home college Andy Marsh had a chat with Sharon Kirby, the higher education academic lead, Lambase, and asked how has the pandemic affected Rise Home College? So with the pandemic, it had, a, it had an impact in the sense that students didn't come onto the, onto the campus through the, the period where the government were advising us. But what we were really keen and, and quick to implement was online learning via Teams. And we tried to, well, we replicated all our, our sessions via Teams on that platform and any practical sessions, they came live from the lambing shed. So we were delivering lectures through the lambing period, through the power of technology. And then when the, the government lifted the, the restrictions, the students came straight back in into to practical activities. What is the situation at the moment? Well, the current situation at the moment is that the students are in the final stretch of completing. So all our degree students have finished their final pieces of work and we're just waiting for all exam boards. And all our FE students are in the final stages of completing, so they'll be, will be submitting their grades to their awarding bodies so we can get their, their final results. And whilst that's happening, we're carrying on, on some extracurricular activities. So we're, we're getting ready for our stockmanship that's happening on the 25th of June, where the students are preparing the sheep and the beef cattle to show, doing some crop additional crop work and working with our employers and going out on to visit. Now September isn't just yet but it's not that far away is it and uh, presumably you're putting plans in place for the next academic year just give us a bit of detail about those. Yeah so the plans are well well afoot we're busy timetabling at the moment and we're planning to be as normal from September so we're, we're busy to be fully full contact and the great thing with September is we've got some new courses online and again going back to the IOT it's all in collaboration with that and around upskilling the workforces at level four and five with those higher technical skills and we've got everything crossed that the pandemic allows us to put into place what we planned. You mentioned one or two new courses a little bit mm. more detail on that uh, what are you looking to do then? So we've, we've developed a new course called Foundation Degree in Precision Crop Technology and obviously with agriculture as it is at the moment it's a a really fast moving pace and with the technology that is in the tractor cabs is second to none 
and we've we've acknowledged that and with our employer groups and listening to what our employers are, are asking for we've managed to create a course that encompasses that and our other degrees that we've just recently revalidated have got a very strong technology theme threaded throughout all of it so all our graduates will be well equipped to, to handle the, the technology that is now coming up onto the farm and the associated businesses so it's all very excited times so we've got robotics as well so new pieces of equipment that we've bought robotic technology here variable rate fertilizer spreaders uh, drills etc so we're doing a lot of we're replicating in the classroom what the employers are using in the field we are just uh, about to launch the iot building which will be is there's a government launch going on on the 8th of july there's a formal opening coming up for that in in june we've spent capital just short of two and a half million pounds and then we've to put up a new building that's specific for Institute of Technology and the delivery of HE teaching. And then alongside of that, we've bought some other equipment as well to support us with that. So some really exciting movements ahead within the faculty and the college. Thanks to Andy and Sharon for that. Over to Kit Dickinson of Open Fields now for the Grain Report. Good morning. An earlier report this week than normal ahead of the USDA report coming out. But the general consensus is the US will most likely give themselves another month to assess the weather impact on production. And those will also then know how tight stocks are and if farmers planted more maize acres following the June 30th US stocks acreage report. The market reaction to the monthly report is measured by how much the average analysts' guesstimates vary from the USDA numbers, which is not necessarily the reality. The things the USDA could change are predominantly maize-related, including increases in US ethanol usage of maize, with further evidence this week of a return to pre-pandemic levels, an increase in US exports with census figures showing that shipments are 4 million metric tonnes higher than the weekly export expectations, and the increase in Chinese imports with no sign yet of China rolling purchases into the next crop year. By far their biggest conundrum is the Brazilian maize production with an average analyst estimate of 97.32 million metric tonnes against the growing belief that it is actually sub 90 million metric tonnes. With the above in mind, the recent market focus has been on the US maize crop which was planted in a timely fashion but has subsequently had sub-optimal conditions in certain areas, namely the northern plains and the upper midwest. There is also talk of a potential for blocking ridge that could cause significant hot dry weather in July and August, which would be most unwelcome for the maize in a critical silking period, should it verify. Spring wheat areas in the US, Russia, Kazakhstan remain moisture deficient, whilst rains have brought at least some relief to the Canadian prairies, although the pattern is turning dry again. The EU27 plus the UK is probably the bright spot at the moment, with the rebound in production of a circa 15 million metric tonne anticipated, which is predominantly in the UK, France, Romania and Bulgaria. EU wheat remains competitively priced for the export, with Romania dominating the Egyptian tender, whilst Germany and the Baltic states are the most likely suppliers to Algeria this week, reported a 35-40% to 40% drop in their domestic wheat production. So moving forward to barley this week, the European production revised slightly higher on the back of good weather. Additionally, UK crops look well across the board, with only exception to those areas that had a long wait for the rain, and when it did come, it could have been too late. Market values have remained in a tight range as per the previous few weeks, which has seen feed barley tick a little higher, meaning premiums have narrowed a little on the back of this. Old crop markets do see some limited trade, with the odd replacement parcel, while new crops have seen some additional consumer buying. With the improved crop prospects on the continent, free on board markets have eased with a little in the short term as buyers adjust their ideas. 
All eyes will be on the amendments to the lockdown easing roadmap with some talk of possible delays, which, depending on the length, could be a consideration for new crop and impact if this does happen. Oil seed rate, weather stories continue to factor for both Americas and Russia being drier, whereas places like the Ukraine have seen fields inundated with rain and some areas flooding. With the energy and food sector supporting the crude and vegetable oil markets, crush levels remain supportive and hence offer a supportive backdrop to the market. This, as long as the global economic recovery sticks to its trajectory, with any deviation below likely to impact on the demand side of the equation. So moving forward to prices this week, wheat for June 200 to 202, moving forward to August new crop 170 to 173, November 173 to 176, February 176 to 179, May 179 to 182. Milling wheat premiums for a new crop are circa 16 to 18 pounds. Feed barley for June July 152 to 154, August 154 to 156, November 156 to 159, February 159 to 161, and May 22, 161 to 163. Malting premiums for new crop are 20 to 25 pounds, basis of 185 nitrogen. And lastly, all seed rate, July, August 438 to 442 off the combine, November 445 to 448, February 448 to 451, and May 451 to 454. Thank you very much. Thanks, Kit. The Farming Programme. Five-day forecast. Today is going to be a very warm and sunny day with a gentle breeze of 6 to 7 miles per hour, top temperature of 26 degrees Celsius and a very warm, partially cloudy night with lows of around 15 degrees Celsius. Tomorrow will be partially cloudy with plenty of sunny intervals and top temperature of 24 degrees Celsius with a moderate westerly breeze around 12 miles per hour. The evening will become cloudier and the wind will drop slightly, overnight lows of 12 degrees Celsius. Into Tuesday, a day very similar to Monday but with a gentle breeze from the southeast around 10 miles per hour. Top temperature of around 23 degrees Celsius and a partially cloudy night with an overnight low of 14 degrees. Wednesday will be another lovely summer's day of partial cloud and sunshine with a breeze from the southwest gusting to 13 miles per hour. Top temperature of 22 degrees Celsius and overnight low of 10 degrees Celsius. Thursday will be similar to the rest of the week with cloudy sunshine and a gentle to moderate breeze from the west. Possible chance of a shower. Top temperature around 20 degrees. And on Friday we may see slight localised showers but another day of sunny intervals with a gentle breeze and temperatures in the high teens. Well, that's it from me. Just a short visit this time as Steve will be back next week. So until next time, have a good week farming.